This is my comeback story. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Welcome back. Excited to be here. We are informally and unintentionally in a series of farmers out of the Mississippi Delta talking about their stories of overcoming adversity. I am here with my friend and um, someone that I have just always admired and respected and still do, Cliff Heaton. How are you? Trey, I'm doing great. It's so good to see you in Clarksdale. It's good to be here. We just had Abe's, so I have conquered what needs to be conquered while I'm in the Delta and I'm on top of the world right now. Um, we are, you know, in this series talking about comeback stories and, and then also really breaking it down in, into the science. You know, I mean, everybody loves a good comeback story. Everybody loves overcoming adversity. I think that we can all relate to different points in our lives, whether somebody struggled with substance abuse or not, have felt like we've had our backs against the wall. But the reality is, is I think that very few really come out of it the way that they could and experience the life that they should be able to. You know, obviously, the, the nature of, of what we do at Good Landing, of what we do in the stories that we typically tell in the comeback, though not specific to this, typically involve at some level substance abuse. And, you know, when we think about, you know, whether you say the word addiction or alcoholic or substance abuse, then people have different pictures in their mind. I mean, some people are thinking of IV drug addict. They're thinking of somebody who is, you know, living on the streets. But but I would venture to say that the majority of it is is we're going to find people who haven't, that, that the, the d- disease, if you will, hasn't progressed um, into a state where they've lost everything, but are really in this place of just the family is there's a disconnect between where they are and where they should be, and there's unmanageability there. Well, that, that's right, and I think you know it's it, there's no doubt that when you're dealing with somebody that's uh, dealing with alcohol abuse like I did, and uh, even going back to Little Cliff when he was dealing with more drug abuse, you 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 probably got I, I would call it two different stages. You know, you've got that stage where you manage to stay alive and live a life, function, and you're a functioning alcoholic. That's the best way I can put it. And then you've got the stage when you're, uh, you're teetering on death, and, and sometimes there's a fine line between that. But I know I can speak from personal experience about uh, having my life, not my, my life support itself, but my, my family life, my business life, and everything that I live for all these years uh, on the bubble, so to speak, because of what I did the last four or five years. And, you know, it, it, with me, it just came to a point that I had had enough and it was time to end that life and move on to another one. See, that, that's interesting because I, I think that anybody that, that knows your life or would have been watching from the outside looking in would have said that you are the epitome of success that th- there's really nothing going on there um, if they would have been looking, you know, just from the outside. And so it's interesting for me to hear that and to think about that that, that didn't happen overnight. I mean, what can you just kind of give us a glimpse into life and then, w- you know, when you really, I guess, found yourself where 
I just kind of use a, a recovery word of where, you know, you found it being unmanageable. Well, I, you know, my life was, was no different than the vast majority of lives. And I can speak for the Mississippi Delta because that's where I spent all my life. And, you know, as much as I hate to say it, life in the Delta is always revolved around a certain amount of alcohol use. Uh, sometimes it's on social occasions, but for the biggest portion of those of us that grew up in this area, uh, it becomes just a daily function. It becomes day in and day out, uh, not, not abusive in an awful lot of situations, but uh, to the point that you abuse it to extremes in certain situations. My, my particular situations was that I abused it uh, tremendously uh, late in the afternoons and in the evenings. I didn't have any problem with drinking in the mornings, but when it came to early afternoon, it was time to have a have a cocktail, and that was not unaccepted around here. It was it was perfectly acceptable there. It's more the norm than the exception, and you know it just you know it's one thing when it uh, it affects you thinking just a little bit, but then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you just realize what you what you're doing to the people that. You, you care most about, which is your family. And that's where I got to. I, 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 I was perfectly happy as a social drinker for 50 years. Um, that's the best way to put it. And then I hit the trauma in my life when we uh, were dealing with a son with a, a terrible drug abuse problem. And, you know, I can, I can say that it was too much for me, and that's just kind of a cop-out. Uh, but the reality is in the last four or five years, uh, I turned more to alcohol to uh, get rid of my problems than I did to any other type of therapy or any uh, thing that might have done me any more good. Uh, I just got, I got to a point that, that it was getting a hold of me, and of course then we lost little Cliff, you know, as most people can imagine, that's the most traumatic thing that any parent could ever go through, and you know, if you've already set yourself up for failure in a sense by drinking too much or using too much drugs or whatever, and then you have that single traumatic event that happens, it, it, and an awful lot of people, it just pushes you over the deep end. And, and, and the reality is that that traumatic event is going to happen to all of us. It may be the loss of a child. It may be the loss of a spouse or a sibling or the loss of a business loss of a close friend. It, it can be any number of things, but those, those events are going to happen, and alcohol uh, is, is not the way to handle it. It, it. it got me where I got to, and, and that was a disaster. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes a wake-up call like that to, uh, for you to eventually look back and say, you know, I, I, I'm throwing everything away. Uh, you know, the big thing that I lost was my son, and I'm fixing to sit here and throw my three daughters and my wife away. That's tough. When you find yourself in, in that place, the difference between somebody that's sitting here with a real story of overcoming and, and redemption, I mean, you, you had the resources to, if you wanted to continue to stay down that path, you know, self-medicate, continue to numb everything you could have with no real consequence. When you 
felt that pain and, and understood what was happening, what do those steps look like? And, and as we think about you know, so many people that would be listening to this podcast that probably need to take those same steps at some level, I mean, can you speak to that? Well, I, I got to a point, uh, I was spending about a year and a half ago when I knew that I was to the point of no return and, and I sought help um, at a treatment center, which was a very well-renowned one. Um, I just felt like that I could, I could go to it and I felt like that was the best thing to do. At, at the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference what treatment center you go to or where you go, but if you don't walk out of there with something, you don't walk out with anything. And I walked out with nothing. Uh, didn't go long before I relapsed. And, you know, as anybody that's ever abused alcohol or drugs knows that when you start going down that road, every time you uh, stumble, it's harder and harder to get up. And at some point, you quit getting up. And I could see that happening to me, so... It, it just wasn't long after I relapsed that time that I came to grips with the fact that I just had to think outside the box a little bit. And, um, you know, that's when me and my family made the decision to, uh, for me to come to Good Landing and, uh, and enter that program. And, and it wasn't that I was looking for, I wasn't looking for advice on alcohol. I wasn't looking for you know, any kind of scientific models that were going to tell me how fast I was going to get well. I wanted something to make me well. That was it. And, and you know, I didn't, I didn't know where that was going to come from and what it was going to be. Uh, but, you know, all I can say is I found it a good landing. Um, that's, that's the end of it. You just celebrated a year of freedom. I did, last Friday. And uh, we celebrated a good landing in your absence. I know that you're here with Chris and... Um, her surgery. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And walking her through all of that. And we celebrated. And, you know, I just remember, you know, just having this moment of reflection at, at Recovery Church on the stage of somebody that came in. And, you know, we were joking earlier about me working chopping cotton for you many, many years ago. You know, somebody that I held in such high esteem and still do. And to be able to come in there was just surreal to me of somebody that whenever you came to Good Landing, that I, while I was excited, I was also worried that you were going to come in, pick everything apart, uh, you know, get frustrated, and just knowing the life that you're accustomed to, that it could have very easily been a living hell for my staff and I. And you came in, and you loved the people. You went all in displayed humility and and all of the essentials when we think about the the science of a comeback um, and put all those things into place and and really saw it as an outlet um, you know where you were able to mentor a lot of people in the process I mean how did you you know really take on that mindset well you know that's a a good question because you know when you take somebody that's 64 years old and I've I've had a good life, and I've I've enjoyed a lot of things in my life, and and you, you know you take a sixty four year old guy and you take him, and you and you put him with young men uh, that have got the same problem as you do, that come from every different walk of life. I think that I realized real quick when I walked in those doors uh, 
that, you know, I, I had a problem that everybody has. It, it doesn't make any difference where you come from or who you are. Uh, and and I, realized, I realized in my own way that I didn't know any more about drug addiction or rehab facilities or any of that stuff than than anybody else in that program. And, and you know, there, there, there have been lots of times in, in, in my business life when I've gone into situations where I knew that I knew more than the people that were trying to tell me something. And I felt very confident in that. But from the day that I walked in, I, I knew that y'all knew more than I did. And I knew that you had some answers. I didn't know if it was going to be the right answers. I didn't know if it was going to work. Uh, I knew I had tried one place a year earlier, and, and it, had, it had failed miserably. But I, I, I knew that I had to come in and I had to play ball by the rules that, that y'all set, and, and they, were, they were the best rules that I've ever been taught. I mean, I, I, learned, I, more, I learned more in that 90 days about life and people and making friends with people that you, you, know, you never would have dreamed you'd have been friends with and and enjoying it and loving every minute of it. And I'll never forget when we left, uh, when Chris and I left Atlanta after my 90 days and we were driving home, and she looked at me and she said, you know, you are the only blankety-blank I've Blanket Mike, sixty-four year old man I've ever known that wants to go back to rehab, <laughs> and I and that that was the that was the honest truth. I did. I I I I loved every minute that I spent there, and but the, the only reason I loved it was because I loved the people and I loved the way that that y'all taught me, uh, the way that you treated me. Um, you know, you, you treated. You treated me just like everybody else that walks in the door, no better, no worse. And, and that's, that meant so much to me. And you actually did come back to rehab. <laughs> and Under the right circumstances. That's exactly right. And I was shocked at, at just the initial way that you went through and then you and Chris making a decision to, to really leave the, the life, the, the, the comforts of your day-to-day here and, and everything that you could be doing with your life, move back to, to Atlanta, rented an apartment where the majority of the sober living guys are and have just loved on clients, loved on staff, brought so much value to, to good landing. Um, I just can't say enough about that. I mean, talk, talk about life, you know, that, that season. That, you know, the two seasons of my life it will never be matched by anything else was my 90 days that I spent there. And, and while I was there, as you remember, after about a month, you and Chris were having a conversation one day, and, and you just casually mentioned, why don't you come over here and, and, and stay over here a little while, just get you out of Clarksdale and – you know, y'all can see each other on weekends, and and of course she did, and she lived in Atlanta for two months. Uh, I lived in the program, and I got to see her on weekends. And you, you know, if if I say that I love the place ten times over, Chris would say that she loved it twenty times over because she she fell in love with the people there. She lo- fell in love with everybody uh, that that we were associated with. She loved seeing what we were doing. And and we, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't me saying that I wanted to come back to Good Landing and 
do anything after I finished my treatment. It was, it was, it was us saying we wanted to go back. I mean, she, she wanted to dive into this thing just as hard as I did. And, you know, we just made the decision that, you know, we, we, we could do it. So we did do it. We, we just packed our bag and, uh, but I will say this, uh, we did move into y'all's apartments, uh, the apartments where y'all are, but uh, so that everybody knows, we do live upstairs and we do call our apartment the penthouse, <laughs> although it's, uh, it's, it's decorated exactly like all the other apartments <laughs> at Good Landing, but we do refer to it as our penthouse, and, and we, we've just loved every minute of it. It's just been, a, it's been an unbelievable ride. Uh, we, we leave to come home to see the kids or the grandkids and, you know, we look at each other and say, it's time to go back. And, uh, you know, we, we, we keep going back and we keep loving it. That's awesome. You, know, you find yourself at you know, different places in life and, you, and I think everybody wants to have a life of significance and impact. And, you know, sometimes we think that is an accumulating stuff for ourselves and, and just trying to always fulfill our own pleasure. But I think that, that all of us know that that the greatest impact that we're ever going to leave is you know how well that we love other people and you guys have done that so well and just the the impact on you know how many people that have said you know I'm staying because I had a I had a conversation with with Cliff you know because of the love that y'all have poured into this place and um you know and just helping to provide perspective and and just and, and from a different place I mean to coming through it from great tragedy and great loss um, and then also your own um, struggles that you had to overcome. Chris and I have, have always loved, because we love our kids like, and our grandkids like nobody else. And, you know, we, we've worked real hard at raising and being our kids' parents and best friends and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, to us it was, it was important that, you know, we lost a son and— uh, you know, of course, it's, you know, it's amazing how good things come out of tragedies. But if you don't, if you don't find a silver lining in, in tragedies, you'll, uh, you'll just live a miserable life. But, you know, we lost a kid. If we can save one kid's life, it's a job well done. That's what we want to do. I mean, just one kid. That's all, that's all we're asking for. And, of course, you know, the, the, the difficult thing about that is, you know, we can spend all the time we want to with, these young adults and older adults too, and you, and you never know the end result until the end comes. You know, is it, you know, is somebody gonna uh, have a bad event in their life a month from now, or are they gonna have it, you know, four years from now? And, it, and it's hard to know that. But all all we wanted to do was come try and look back and say, we hope we saved one life, mm-hmm. and that's what it's all about for us. Yeah. Some people don't you know, have the bandwidth or they're involved in, in other type of, of ministries and, and expressions to, to love people in different areas. Um, and there is a foundation um, where people can, can give. Um, you know, some people just, you know, they don't, they have the heart, they want to see people get clean, they may not have the skill set or the experience to really be like a, um, to, to, to sit down and kind of be the hands and feet of, of God in person. Um, but can we can we talk about the foundation for a little bit? Well, yeah, we 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 created uh, when we lost little Cliff, we created a foundation uh, with the purpose of helping young adults that could not enter treatment programs financially without assistance, and we just 
we just felt like that if we couldn't get kids into treatment programs, they would never get over this. And, you know, 99% of the time, that's, that's just the case. So we created a foundation and if, you know, not only poured our money, but our hearts into it, you know, just trying to help people. We, you know, when you, when you go through something like losing a child and you think about, well, what can I do to make a difference? You, you can always come up with all kind of ideas on what you can do, but a lot of times you just got to look and you got to say, uh, what can I help somebody else do? And that's, that's where we put our focus is, you know, what can we do to make good landing? Yeah. What can we do to put them where they are going to get this help? Because we're not counselors. We're not, you know, we're not therapists. We don't, uh, you know, you can throw all the good thoughts and all the ideas and concepts and that kind of thing at these, at these young adults that, that have got problems. But if, if you don't know what you're talking about, you, you're just not going to do any good. And we, we don't know. We don't know what it takes to really get kids over the hump. I know what it took to get me over the hump. It was me coming and coming to grips with my situation, uh, realigning my faith with where uh, I always thought it was but where it wasn't. Doing the kind of things that I did for 90 days was what solved my problem problems and and you know that's what we want to do is just give an op- give these kids an opportunity to come where they can be helped and where they are in the best hands possible and you know that's why we we give our, our foundation support to good landing and that's why we uh, that's why we live there day in and day out other than when we come home to see the family yeah so it, it is a 501c3. If you want to give to it, you can. Um, whenever we um, have this podcast out, we'll have a link to the, uh, to the website, um, also to the Facebook page. You can watch their, their video about their family, about Little Cliff's life. So if you end up wanting a, to, to, to make a charitable gift there, you can. It's going to go directly uh, to helping uh, young adults get free from drugs and alcohol. Always love spending time with you. Trey, it's, it's, it's always a treat, especially getting to watch you eat a big Abe chili cheese. Yes, there's no, nothing better than Abe's, for sure. Any final thoughts before we go today? No, I, I just appreciate you all coming to Clarksdale. And, and, uh, and, and you know, I, I, I just have to say I, I appreciate what y'all, what Good Landing is doing uh, with Clarksdale. I mean, we've got, you know, we, we've just had – in, since your opening, we've had so many young adults and grown adults go to Good Landing. If if you had have told me four years ago, if you'd have shown me a list of families that had turned their lives over to Good Landing, I would have said, Trey, you're you're making that up. That 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 won't happen. It's not gonna happen. But when I look at at uh, when I, when I just go around town, you know, and, and the subject about kids and drugs and alcohol and abuse and addiction, when that comes up, the next words that are mentioned are good landing. And, I mean, that's just a tribute to what y'all have done. And I can't ever tell you how much I appreciate it, not only for me, but for the other uh, individuals that I know who have gone through and, and for those that I don't know that have gone through, a lot of whom I've met. 
uh, since I went through the program. I mean, it's it's amazing how I just stumble into people that have gone prior to me going there that I didn't ever know about. So I just want to say thank you for what you've done. It's an honor, privilege to be able to partner with you in this. We miss you at Recovery Church, your <laughs> stories, your inspiration, and uh, look forward to doing part three with you very soon. Thank you, Trey. It's always a pleasure. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.